tens of millions of families with Alzheimer's disease and dementia all over the world, including our family. We are Alls in the Fam. I'm Alan Fair. And I'm Polly Fair Noise. We're siblings, we are parents, but we're also caregivers. This is our podcast. This is our support group. Welcome to our family. Alzheimer's sucks, but this family lives, laughs, and learns as we fight for a cure. Welcome. Hey, Polly. Hey, Bonnie. Hey, Alan. Hey, Alan. Happy New Year. Yeah, this is the first episode of All's in the Fam in 2021. And it's a good one because we have a great guest that we interviewed. We interviewed Chris Kondracki. He is the owner of a company called Always Best Care in Loudoun, Virginia, which is close to where we live in the USA. And um, we talk about his services, which are home aid services for uh, seniors with um, disabilities, either physical or mental. And it's a really nice episode. Great. Here's that interview with Chris now. Hey, everyone. Good afternoon. Hey, Bonnie. Hello. Good afternoon. So we're very excited today to have a guest, and uh, this guest is a personal friend of mine as well as a professional friend of mine. His name is Chris Kondracki, and he is the owner and president of Always Best Care. It's a senior home services company located in Loudoun, Virginia, which is near where we live in the United States. And um, we were really pleased to have him to ask questions about his services and how dementia and Alzheimer's patients and their families can access this kind of care. And so thank you. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Really appreciate you coming out today. Thank you for having me. So I'm just going to get right into it a little bit. Um, Chris, you know, there is a uh, distinction between your services because they are really non-medical services. So it's a companion care and then a placement services in addition to that. And also um, what we want to say home helper services as a, and there's a distinction there. Can you talk a little bit about what your services are and how that plays out in as a differentiator from um, home health services in a medical setting? Sure. Um, home health care in the medical setting, I'll start with that. Uh, those are the folks that will come to your home. Uh, it's usually a nurse uh, to provide usually occupational therapy or physical therapy for you um, that has been prescribed by a doctor. Um, and they are there only for a short amount of time, uh, usually about an hour. Um, they can provide uh, the nurses can do wound treatment, they can give you medication and check you over and then also do the physical therapy type of uh, exercises with you, uh, but then they leave. Um, home care, which we call it, um, we have uh, do personal care or companion care, and that's non-medical. And a lot of people think that sometimes that the, the personal care is medical care. It's, it is not. Um, we're not allowed to provide um, a good medication, but we can help somebody uh, get out of the bed to transfer them. We help them with incontinence issues. Uh, they could be bed bound, or they could be wheelchair bound, uh, any number of issues that uh, requires somebody to be next to them uh, by their side to help them up and down. 
And then the companion care is and the home helper services is something akin to uh, someone coming to your house and providing um, maybe cook a meal for you, um, socialize with you, maybe take you to the grocery store, help you pick out items, um, open the mail, read the mail for you. Uh, those kind of services that you physically do not touch somebody in a kind of uh, intimate way, I'd say. Yeah, I really feel like when we were looking for help for my mom, that this was the kind of care that um, that we needed first in dementia. So we, my mom was very healthy and remains very healthy, didn't need medications, didn't need a lot of aid in the activities of daily living from a physical perspective, but really needed watching in a way um, that we couldn't provide 24 hours. So getting this kind of care was was really a critical piece of keeping her in her home um, for, for a longer amount of time and giving us peace of mind. Um, and we really didn't know where to start on how to access that kind of care. Yeah, Bonnie, I just wanna point out, Chris, your services sound like exactly what we needed in the beginning of our journey with Alzheimer's with our mom because she um, would resent care that she didn't need, right? And a person she didn't know coming in. So a companion really is what she needed. I think we went a little too early to a more robust level of care, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have a nurse come in, but we, we had someone come in and she really kind of resented it. She's like, I don't need this, but she did need someone to cook her a meal yeah. once in a while. Like you said, go through the mail, all those things. I was like, yes, that's exactly it. I think we went too early for my mom with getting the kind of care she had, but what do you, when's the right time to bring someone in? Do you think I, I just, I would love to hear your expertise in that area. Well, typically probably in your situation, um, I don't think you um, started too early. You maybe actually started too late because if you start early with somebody, you don't have to have somebody in their house seven days a week, five days right. a week, whatever it is, all day long. Um, if it's just a couple uh, a couple hours a day, one or two days a week, uh, you can start off slowly. And by then building on and adding, adding folks or adding time to covering the person that uh, has dementia. Yeah. Um, usually in the early stages of dementia, as you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of cueing um, and a lot of reminding. So it's a, dementia in itself is a, type, a special type of personal care that we cover um, so that the, the caregiver uh, is right by their side usually or watching out for them uh, for safety purposes and then also making sure that they don't um, wander off or get into trouble in any way. Uh, they may direct them on how to get dressed in the morning um, or in the afternoon. Uh, they may get a little bit more agitated uh, to calm them down and, and settle them down through dinner and then and then they might leave. So yeah. the earlier the better, really, but start slow. You, you know, one or two days a week is all about it. You need a couple hours. Yeah. Chris, uh, you pointed out that maybe we waited too long and I think that's part of the, now that you say that, I think might have that maybe that was part of the issue because my mom could never sort of get to know the person and develop a relationship. It seemed like they were brand new every time they came to her house and um, brings up another issue about how I imagine a very experienced uh, helper would know how to combat that. But my mom locked people out when they came to help her and 
you know, they'd knock on the door. Oh, I brought you some groceries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's like, I don't yes. know you. You can't come in. Um, do you see that? Or how do you deal yes. with that? All the time. It happens all the time. And that's commonplace. Um, usually with folks, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, they've been living on their own for several years, maybe 20, 30 years living on their own. And then all of a sudden the kids decide, hey, mom needs some help because she's getting, has dementia. And they put somebody in the house and they're like, hey, I don't, I don't need this. I've been living for 20 years by myself. I don't need any help at all. I'm doing fine. Sounds um, familiar. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of resentment there. And there's a, that's the typical story. Yeah. Um, that folks just don't want somebody else coming in their house because one, they don't want a stranger and two, they don't, they don't need help. So yeah. there's always going to be a pushback. Um, and that's why starting early um, is better. I think we had a much better experience when we found someone and were able because of the, the person's personality and, and relationship to my mom to to um, frame it in the idea that this was my mother's friend or our friend who was coming either to get her, take her for a walk, help her. And, and that worked for a while, much better than when we, where we had done what Polly was saying earlier and tried to get actual help in. So I, I see where starting early, starting on a friendship basis with more benign Companion, I think, as, as opposed to mm -hmm. assistant is a, is a real key way of framing it with, with at least our mom. Uh, Chris, who is it that finds you first? Is it uh, more often uh, the children of the person who needs care? Is it, is it the spouse? Um, does it skew toward one way or another? Um, I, I, while um, mm -hmm. our mother lived alone, uh, in other situations that I've been in, it's been, um, you know, and married seniors. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've seen the, the challenge of the children being convincing the healthy senior mm -hmm. to take action to help the, the spouse that's in need. Well, it, you know, it, it can vary, um, but certainly uh, the spouse of someone uh, who has dementia will be someone who contact us. The usually and also with the adult children um they're usually the ones that try to reach out first um if there are children involved if they're you know if the, if the parents don't have any kids then the spouse is probably going to be the one who's going to reach out uh if there are kids involved then the kids are probably going to reach out especially if they live close by because they're the ones that are being called um, constantly to come over and help out and taking up their time that they have their own families and, and dealing with their own lives. They don't really have a plan to help go back and help mom and dad, uh, you know, every other day of the week. So the children can be also the ones who call. And then if, if someone lives alone, it could be a neighbor. Uh, it could be someone in a church, um, a church member, uh, realizing that the person's struggling, um, with dementia and they might call somebody to help come in and start talking. So the distinction I'm hearing is that you're not saying it's usually the patient themselves. It's usually someone that's in their life in some way or another that's making that original call for them. Am I right with that? I, pretty much 99% of the time it, in, in, with dementia folks, it is, not the, it is not the person with dementia calling. 
Yeah, it really is hard to imagine someone saying, you know, I'm really noticing I'm starting to lose my marbles. Maybe I should call someone and get some help for myself. So, yeah, I I haven't met anyone who's done it that way. That's for sure. Or I went and looked and where did I put the number? I I forgot where I put the number. Yeah. And well, but and staying with that, though, I think it's interesting that you said, you know, it's someone who's close by and kind of sees what's going on, because I also think, you know, there's the case like us where and Polly and I had this discussion many times before we got help. Do we just wait until the bad thing happens? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know we had a recent experience with Chris, with my mother in law in a medical situation where we needed help on an emergency basis. I mean, there was a clear defining event. And thank you. Chris was a savior. I'm going to recommend his company to anybody who's local the way that he responded. It was so fast, so complete and gave us so much good advice. So, um, Bonnie, what day was that that you called? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. The it day Thanksgiving. before Thanksgiving in the evening, yeah, right. and we had services in place that that very next day, including equipment and staff. So let's point out during COVID. <laughs> yes, during right? COVID, right. I let's, mean, let's, yeah, just the height of COVID. Real, uh, yeah, it's got to be an exacerbating factor. Right. Yeah. So going from that, that extreme of extremes to, you know, back to dementia and, and this thing, do you find that a lot of people in that area are, are having discussions that Polly and I were having in the background of, you know, what do we do? Do we wait for the, the bad thing to happen? Or, you know, what, what can we do? What can we offer? How can we get some relief and some safety for her? Yes, usually that is happening in the background. Um, if it's the spouse with no kids, uh, the spouse is probably talking to other people about it. If the kids are involved and it's a multiple, multiple kid family, I'm sure they're all having, you know, they're, everyone who's interested in helping mom and dad is going to be involved in trying to get together and help out and kind of decide who's going to do what, who's going to do when. Um, if somebody can't do it because they're not local, too far away, then how can they support the group? Um, and work things out. It's a slow process when that starts to happen. And I think that's where people, people stutter the most. And, and that's the problem. They, uh, they, get, they get paralyzed with all the information and, and don't move forward. Yeah. And then when you meet a little bit of resistance from, from your loved one, it makes Correct. it easy to, to stop. So what's your process? So I call and I'm like, you know, Hey, I got my mom. I don't know what's going on. You know, how do, what's your intake process to, to help someone? Because I feel like even, even having gone through the process, when we were going over notes and things like that, we were like, wow, I wish we had had a, um, a guide to tell Mm -hmm. us, you know, what's available to us and what to do. Well, uh, the process would be somebody would find us through friends or the internet, uh, web page, um, uh, a case manager at a hospital or a skilled nursing facility and, and reach out and contact us. And, and that's when we start to initiate the process with, with potential client. We uh, just take some basic information on the phone, but schedule appointment, uh, a meeting to go out and talk with the family members, whoever involved uh, the responsible parties and sit down and talk with them uh, and find out what the situation is, find out what the home environment is, um, preferably um, with the 
uh, person with dementia there so that they can be observed as well. And then uh, with that, uh, also send in a nurse that does a, a, per, a physical type of assessment of, of the situation. Um, a simple test, some simple tests for, for dementia, trying to figure out what stage. But if you've already been to the doctor, or, you, know, you might have a general practitioner or even a neurologist or a psychiatrist involved already. Um, so we would be looking for notes from them as well, uh, medication levels that someone might be on. And then from there, we would devise a plan of a schedule more or less of, of how many days, how many hours you would want someone to come in and help that would help out uh, the family uh, and the person, which would benefit the most. What about those who are skeptical about how expensive it is? I mean, so we're um, located in the DC metropolitan area, which mm -hmm. I believe has a reputation perhaps justifiably so being among the most expensive markets in the United States for, for healthcare, for um, a caregiver who might be concerned that, oh, I, I simply can't afford that. Is there, is there hope? Is that a misunderstanding? Are the payment options available to them that they're I'm unaware certain, of? Yeah, there, there's certainly a, a, a long list of other payment options that are available uh, that are out there for folks um, to pay for these type of services. Um, we you know, here always best care in Loudon. Um, we mostly cover or 100% cover private pay clients, which means you're paying out of pocket, and that could be paid from a long-term care insurance policy. But generally, someone's coming up with the money from their own pocket. Let's say uh, the other side would be a government-supported. Um, um, effort. Uh, Medicaid uh, might step in. In many states, they have their own state-run programs where um, the funds can be accessed for certain levels of care and certain many hours um, a week, a month. Um, there's self-guided care programs in several states. That's, there's one here in Virginia where they just, they will give you a lump sum of money and it's up to you to decide how you're going to spend that money on your care. Um, when we talk to folks about uh, you know funds and pricing, it's when you go back and think about it, um, that right now probably the average caregiver out there is making less than the person that's in the warehouse at, at a Costco. Uh, that's difficult to um, you know find caregivers that will work. Uh, it honestly is. So relative to other things, it's really not expensive. Um, one of the issues that comes up that is truly um, eye-opening for a lot of people is that when this happens, you now are an employer. You're employing us to, to help you out. And most people all their lives have never been the employer. So they don't know what it is for employee taxes. They don't know what workers' compensation is all about. They don't know enough to cover how many different policies of insurance you have to cover. Um, even COVID now has been taken out of our general policies and you have to have a separate writer for that, for infectious diseases. Um, so I try to tell folks that, that they're now the employer and think about it from that standpoint is they've got to hire somebody who's going to come in on a regular basis, who's qualified to do it. And it's not going to be cheap, um, but it's not expensive. So I want to make two points on here. One is that yeah. um, Chris provided us a list of 
uh, potential services that we will put in the notes for the podcast so that you can, sure. if you're listening and are interested in finding something, it'll be a resource um, for our listeners to try and access those that are in our area or in your area when you say state run and local programs. Mm -hmm. And the second piece is I thought a really compelling statement that you said on your notes back to me when we were going over what we might talk about was when you talk about a rainy day fund, guess what? It's raining. And um, I, I really, that really kind of hit me. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. What are you waiting for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're waiting for it to get worse? It, it will, but yeah. you're better off getting things in place now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's usually something, you know, we tell folks right off the bat, uh, right off the bat and seniors that, hey, they, they have saved money for a rainy day and it's now raining and yeah. they have to dig in. And no one wants to spend their savings and their, their, their money. Uh, that's true, uh, especially for something like this, which they probably never thought of uh, that they were going to need or wanted. Um, we once had a client that had a wife that had late stage dementia, was caring for her, and they lived a very meager existence. And I went and met him, and he said they had no money for services, it was too expensive. And in conversation with him, um, after a little bit, we started talking about his, where he lived locally and what had happened. And he told me that he owned 137 acres of land in prime real estate area here in Loudoun County. Um, so there is funds. He had, he had it free and clear. He just didn't want to give it up. Um, so there, there are a lot of places where there's money hiding um, to help pay for these type of services. It's just a matter of whether or not you're going to sacrifice it and give it up. And typically people don't give it up. <laughs> Well, I think at some point, yeah. you know, we've recognized what a better quality of life it is for everyone involved, not just our loved ones, but for us as caretakers to have that, um, that expertise to uh, not only to care for them, but to give us advice on next steps and to give us an, a professional eye on what's going on with, with, with our loved one, our person, mm -hmm. um, that that's so valuable, um, outside of even the care that we're giving. So I'm going to say, do it, do it early. Like you're saying, Chris, because it's been very valuable to us in many ways. And that's one thing about our services. It's not only helping the, the client, the person with the dementia, it's helping the family. Um, we help educate the family in any way we can. Um, we're constantly um, in contact with them, of course, about what's happening day to day. Um, but we also feed them literature, information about what's going on, uh, services that are out there in the community. Um, there may be a, a lecture here or there in the community that we might think is, is relevant to them. So we'll send them, you know, uh, an invitation to that, that seminar or whatever it may be. So we're, we're helping the family just as much as we're helping the client. Yeah. All right. I'm going to switch gears for a minute and I'm just sure. going to ask about, you know, going back to what Polly said with with a, with a difficult client mm -hmm. and, um, you know, literally our mother would lock the person out and not let them come. So tell me a little bit about how you'd manage that. Now I know how you managed with my mother-in-law who is not a dementia patient, but is a difficult patient <laughs> and, uh, had a, a little bit of difficulty with one of her helpers. You were able to swap her out and get, get somebody else in pretty quickly for us again. Thank you so much. Um, but how, what are some of the tricks for someone like that? I mean, where, 
you know, um, we started, we thought too early, but really too late and had the wrong kind of care initially. But what do you do? What do you do when you need the help and it's not working? What are the strategies? What would you, you know, how, how do you manage when the patient or, or the client um, although, you know, that's a question. Who's the client? Are we yeah. the client or is the patient the client? And um, so what do you do if the person who's receiving the care locks out, locks out the caregiver? Well, those type of uh, situations happen. Um, there are a lot of times the person is defensive um, and will do things like that. Um, even going as far, um, maybe if they're, they're, aggressive or they become aggressive um they can swing and try to hit the caregiver as well that happens um all the time uh caregivers are very fast when that happens they try to step back as best they can um it is uh it's the caregiver and the training that we've we've worked with the caregiver the experiences that they've had that usually um, determine the outcome of those type of situations um the, the best thing to do uh, in a situation like that, um, in which you have somebody who's either aggressive or anti-care, uh, is to redirect and keep redirecting and keep redirecting and keep redirecting. And you keep trying to redirect as long as you can until you can turn it around. Someone might uh, be in an argument with the caregiver. Uh, so all the caregiver says, okay, and, and steps in another room waits two or three minutes, comes around the other side of the door and say, hey, we're going to the, the party tonight. Like we need to get dressed. And off they go uh, to the party. Everything's changed. I've done that myself. Exactly. <laughs> you just, and you learn you can't win an argument with someone with dementia. That's correct. And so in general, it's if for folks that are just starting with something that might have a, a, a serious case of dementia, you got to go along with the flow of what's in their mind. Not what you're going to think, not what your response is going to be. As long as they're safe, um, you know, you don't want to do anything dangerous. But just go with whatever they're thinking about. Um, if they're talking about when they're playing soccer as a kid, okay, well, talk about playing soccer as a kid. Um, although it might not make sense to you, it does to them. Chris, I, you sent us ahead of time mm -hmm. um, a list of nine mm -hmm. things you might use to convince a client, the person who is um, who needs care, Mm -hmm. that they should accept care. And I, I thought they're fantastic. I don't know if you want to highlight a few of them for us or you want me to read them out, but I thought they were great. They were, I wish I had that list when we were trying to convince my mom, although with dementia, it's hard to make that convincing mm -hmm. stick. I mean, they might agree in the moment, but um, would you want to tell us a few of those, the sure. ones that seem to work best? So you said you might point out to them that they're alone for several hours during the day or night. So it's I, and maybe you Correct. wrote these okay. for the care for the children or spouse of the person needing care, but they were great. Mm -hmm. uh, What's for, one that sticks um, out okay. to you, Polly? Yeah. You use a cane walker wheelchair to help with balance or walking. You know, what happens if that goes somewhere along? So, I saw somebody say, yeah, make the, the, a, yeah, like a spa thing. You know, this is a person who's going to give you a, you know, a, ba a shower or a bath in it in a very spa like manner, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dementia, you know, they're both sex are involved, but usually for the women, um, to convince someone to get care, if you tell them it's about going to the, the beauty salon, going to the spa for a day, 
to start care. Um, that is very um, acceptable to them and they'll, they'll take it on and, and you'll start and then you can start off with care. Um, and yeah. along. Um, but th- you know, if someone with a cane walker, it's time to start thinking about, are they going to be okay? Uh, if they that have those in, with in, and dementia, then certainly you, you need to start thinking about bringing care. Um, if that person can't, can't cook their own meals, uh, certainly if they can't bathe, if someone hasn't taken a bath in, in three weeks and they start to stink really bad and they're wearing the same clothes day in and day out, that's a sign it's probably time for care. Yeah. Um, um, you did mention one of the ways to convince a person they might accept care was that, um, remember to say to them, remember, it's important to you that you stay in your own home. And this mm-hmm. can be a way for you to stay in your own home. And, um, think that might be important to all of us. It will be to me. Yeah. And that was the one that stuck out to me too. It's important to you that you live independently. And this is a way for, for us to make that happen. I actually use that in my real estate business for my seniors that I work with too, when they're downsizing and you can have that same type of resistance to giving up your home where you've raised your kids with the big yard and lots of bedrooms and steps and um, we'll often have a conversation about, you know, look, if you, if you're living, if you want to live by yourself outside of a facility for another 10 years, let's do it right now and, you know, find a place with no steps and um, a small yard or a condo where, where the exterior of your building is taken care of. And I think this is that, an evolution of that um, by saying, hey, we're going to bring it now to the interior of your home by taking away, you know, some of the um, activities of daily living that become very burdensome to someone who has dementia or any type of physical disability. Correct. Um, And if you, if you're talking to your parents and they're adamant, um, you, you know, they need help and they're adamant about staying in their home. Well, okay, you have a choice. You can stay in your home and you, you get home care and they have to come in or you're going to go and you're gonna, we're going to find an assisted living community for you to move into. If the person is anti-assisted living community for whatever reason, then their choice is to stay independent at home, but they have to have home care and then they will be watched and be safe. And then um, that leads into kind of the, the very last piece of what we were talking about, which is that um, while you provide the in-home care, uh, you also do that next step of helping with referrals to people who are then going to be moving out of their home care and into a facility. Mm-hmm. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about how, how that happens? And, it, you know, are your clients usually ones that were home care and then are moving on or are there two channels for that? Um, well, sort of like the example I just gave, um, or they could be our clients. There's, there's various different ways of how people are, are going to move into or go to an assisted living community. Um, I wanted the distinction between an assisted living community and a long-term care facility. Um, assisted living communities, in all fairness, they're not prisons. It's not jail. You can come and go as you please. If you can still drive, well, by all means, bring your car, park it in front, and, and go out for go out for your errands. Um, long-term care and facilities is more of what probably they're thinking about, where folks are bed-bound or wheelchair-bound, and they need nursing care 24/7. 
So you know, we're providing our service for assisted living placement services is finding the right community for someone to move to from their house that where they need the extra support um, during the day. And it could be as little as just getting a wake up call, getting out of bed, or it could be someone that's, that's wheelchair bound as well um, to help out. So yes, we do provide those services. That's a real um, distinction to, to think about in, in your conversations with your loved ones, I think too, that I hadn't really delineated, even though being in it now, we understand it a lot better, which is those assisted living facilities are an interim step to a full, full on care facility. And they still provide a lot of independence, um, again, as an alternative to just moving to a regular condo that doesn't have any additional services. Correct. And there are any number of levels of service you can get in an assisted living community. And that's why we help out because you could sit there and spend hours and hours of your time researching what's the best assisted living community to move into um, and just keep wasting your time and never really get to where you need to get going. Um, in our services, um, I constantly go to assisted living communities on a regular basis find out what's going on, find out who the employees are, um, um, management, staff, turnover ratios, um, to find out what's going on, you know, hands on the ground kind of research um, that people just don't have time to do. And they can't go to 15 of these communities, usually at the time they're looking, they just don't have that kind of time. So you're coming to someone like me, a professional that's already done all the legwork to put together the best two or three communities, take you to those communities, view them, take a tour, um, come home and make a decision about which one's gonna be best for you. So along the way, we've already knocked out the ones that have no parents of what's your, no reason you would ever move into any one of them, whether it be the cost is too low, cost is too high, you'd rather go to the Ritz-Carlton or, or you don't have enough money, maybe you need to go to a group home. So we'll find the right community for you. And it's not just based on how close it is to your family. So I know we're, we're getting close to the end of our time here. Sure. What, what do you want, to, want us to know that we didn't cover? I, I've got an easier one for you. Looking toward the, the future, is there anything um, in the form of innovation that excites you about uh, healthcare and the future, whether it's through some of the promising therapies that are being developed or um, the merging of, of technology to measure certain milestones. Um, as you look toward the future, what do you think will be better than uh, how it is right now? Uh, as far as advancing in technology, I think what's gonna be coming down the line that's gonna be most useful is the monitoring of the individual um, in their home or somewhere remotely. Um, for instance, say, say, let's say use an example, you go to a hospital, you have a heart attack, all of a sudden you're plugged into 50 machines that go big. Um, there's somebody in a room watching you and 12 other people, all their machines and everyone's watching to make sure nothing's going wrong. Um, that kind of technology is gonna come to the home on the individual person, where you're gonna be measure, measuring blood pressure, temperature, um, heart, um, blood sugar rates uh, in, in a real-time environment and that if something goes askew or something's out of whack, 
um, a bell is going to go off and someone's going to be calling you direct or emailing you of some sort and finding out what's going on with you personally. Um, that's something that's probably going to be coming down the line. Um, there's a lot of privacy issues, of course, uh, involved with that. It's not tomorrow, but it, it will be here sooner or later, probably. Um, as well as things that, 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 that combine some of the, uh, the locator devices, the GPS locator devices and the um, um, fobs where you, you know, help I fall and I can't get up, um, where these fobs are now, where you, someone will be wearing them and they detect someone's fall uh, based on the acceleration of forward movement and, and, and vertical movement as well. And there's no false, pot, you know, false alarms. Um, all that stuff is going to be combined into one and someone's going to monitor it from afar. That's yeah. what excites me, yeah. Great. Uh, yeah, that's great. But it, that, that doesn't get rid of home care. Um, it absolutely no, does it doesn't. not. <laughs> yeah. Someone's still going to, if you want to stay independently and you, and you can't get out of a wheelchair, that's not going to help you get out of a wheelchair. Yeah, no, Chris, I think uh, you're providing such a valuable service and that is not going to go away. You need another human being Correct. sometimes. And we'll be providing Chris's uh, contact, his business, Always Best Care, and more information with links on everything that we've discussed as far as resources in the show notes of this episode. So, uh, Chris, thank you so much for being with us on All's in the Fam. No, thank you very Thanks, much for Chris. having me. Everybody have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening to All's in the Fam. In the fight against Alzheimer's and dementia, we are all family. Find us at All's in the Fam on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and on our website, allsinthefampodcast.com. We appreciate you clicking that subscribe button on Apple, Google, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast catcher may be. Alzheimer's sucks, but we are in it together. We are Alls in the Family. Talk soon.